All right. Welcome back to West Coast Football, and I have my camera turned on this time. Uh, I can see the red circle square. I know my shapes. So it is definitely on this time. <laughs> uh, it is episode four, uh, and coming up this weekend, we have the Oregon Ducks at the Washington State Cougars, another Cougars team. Wazoo, up in Pullman. I, I never know what to make of this game. Uh, it's always a weird-ass game that just never really, truly makes any sense. I, I've never been able to figure it out. It's such a weird place to play. It's like playing in the desert. It just does things to you, I guess. Uh, and then in the second half of the show, um, we have what I'm calling the Chargers Redemption Match. The Chargers are hosting the Jacksonville Jaguars with or without Herbert no idea as of yet uh everyone seems to be expecting him to play in what capacity that is the question I don't expect to see a whole lot of you know rollouts and shot plays but Trevor Lawrence has been looking decent uh, I've not really watched much of the Jags but from what I have heard and what little I have watched he looks pretty decent, and the Jags actually look like a solid team this year compared to what they were. I guess Doug Peterson really turned him around. Amazing what a competent head coach could do, huh? Anyway, uh, kicking things off with Oregon, I wanted to touch on the BYU game one more time because I did a very informal episode last week, or uh, this weekend, covering that game. Just my initial reactions since I was at the game. Uh, I didn't really have time to put much together. But now that I've had some time to kind of brood on it a little bit, what have you, um, really process it, and listen to Dan Lanning's post-game press conference, I kinda, I'm kind of in the same boat as I was then. I'm very impressed. There's definitely some things that could be worked on. I, I really liked... Some of the personnel packages that I saw, I liked the physicality that I saw. Special teams wasn't actually too bad. And um, the run game, the run game was strong. And I think that's going to be real helpful against Wazoo because while they're not the same Washington State team that they have been in the past with the air it out, throw the ball all over the place, they're still explosive and they still do like to throw just not to the level that they used to and their running game is actually a lot stronger so I, I expect Oregon to kind of play keep away and again stick to that same formula that was working keeping Bo Nix around 18 to 24 throws and just keep them easy one to two read progressions if he doesn't like it he can just toss it just keep Bo Nix out of the picture really uh, first of all, um, speaking on the pregame presser from Tuesday, I believe it was, I'm going to call it a pregame presser. I know it's the beginning of the week, but it's kind of his big press conference before they start practice, just addressing the next game. He started off by saying that he's a Chiefs fan. I don't like that. I don't like the head coach of my favorite team is a fan of the Kansas City Chiefs. That's stupid. But I might be biased. <laughs> um, first of all, he did say that he's going to continue to let Bo Nix make big runs. He's not going to stop him 
whether he wants to slide or not, he's just going to let Bo Nix run because that is something that Bo Nix is very good at. From what I understand, he doesn't really fumble that much. His big issue is really interceptions. Fumbles, not so much. He was also very smart last Saturday and didn't take any unnecessary hits except for that one third down where he kind of threw himself into the defender. But he didn't get hurt. He turned his back and took the shot to his shoulder instead of his head. So I think that that's actually okay, really. As long as he can continue to do that, doesn't dive forward into situations where you might get a Justin Herbert in his sophomore year breaking his collarbone. As long as he avoids situations like that and goes down when he needs to and doesn't dive when he doesn't need to dive, I think he'll be fine running the ball. Uh, He did say that Washington State has a good pass rush defense overall, and that was a point of emphasis for them in practice this week. They were really going to be focusing on on defending against a pass rush because really outside of Georgia, no team that they faced has had a solid pass rush. And even with Georgia, they only, I think they haven't, they didn't allow a sack. And yeah, they have not allowed a sack yet. They've allowed a few pressures, but they have not allowed a sack. They have allowed some tackles for loss, but those were mostly broken plays. I, I personally, I'll get to this later. I don't know what else he's seeing in Washington State's pass rush. It didn't look too crazy to me. But then again, I'm just a dude who's actually wearing his fucking ducks shirt for once on this show who likes to watch football that's all i am i'm not a i'm not a coach i'm nowhere near a coach so if he say if he says he sees stuff then i'm gonna go with what he says but from what i see in my armchair quarterback position pass rush was all right for washington state uh, one of the phrases that he used in his conference, his press conference uh, was chopping wood and carrying water as far as how they're handling practice. Basically, just working on the fundamentals constantly, keeping yourself watered, keeping the fire going, making sure that you're staying in the right direction, not getting too caught up in all the fancy stuff. Take care of the fundamentals. The fancy stuff just happens. These guys are good athletes. Like, this is still a top 15 um team in terms of talent in the nation they don't need to worry about all of this fancy stuff the fancy stuff will come just master the playbook master your fundamentals and tackle (laughs) continue to tackle which tackling was pretty good against BYU and everything else will take care of itself Um, he did say that despite what we have seen and what we think uh, Dan Lanning did keep saying that they were playing last weekend they were playing BYU and Oregon And that is because he said they have yet to play a complete game in all three phases of the game, which is pretty telling considering I thought they were all solid. Third down defense still leaves a lot to be desired. And uh, I guess some inconsistencies maybe in special teams, but overall they look, (laughs) special teams looks a lot better than it has in the past. And the offensive play calling and execution has been awesome. I've really been liking Kenny Dillingham's offense uh, the way that it's been put on a couple of a couple of different podcasts that I've listened to, and I fully agree, is it is everything that Mario Cristobal wanted his offense to be, but couldn't do it. For whatever reason, he just couldn't. But Kenny Dillingham, he's got it dialed in. Uh, he also said, we are going to play as many guys that can play winning football. 
And that was in response to a question uh, about some of the people lower on the depth, depth chart seeing some significant playing time. And I think that's great. I like the the hot hand mentality. I mean, if someone is playing good ball, don't take them out. I mean, maybe if they're down on the depth chart a little bit, maybe you could still sub in your starters a little bit more. And But when you really need them, don't be afraid to put that third stringer in if he's playing hot and playing like a first stringer for that day. Just play him. And I think that was also in response to a question about redshirting. If I remember correctly, I didn't write it down. I believe that was in response to a question about red shirts. And sure, I mean, if a guy is good enough to be playing, why does he need a red shirt if he's good enough to be playing as a freshman? It doesn't really make sense to just keep him on the bench if he's good enough to be playing. So play him, and that's his mentality, and I think that's starting to show. There's some names that we've not really heard that are making some really big plays. The other point of emphasis that he had uh, that he kept reiterating in parts of the press conference was how do we play without the ball in reference to blocking? How will you block? When it's not your job to score the points, how do you help your team score points? How do you keep the other team from scoring points when you are not directly involved with the football? On defense, the run play is going to the other side and you're on the line. How well do you eat up blocks to free up the linebackers to make a stop? On offense, you're the fullback and you're not going to get the ball, but the running back is behind you and he needs a big block. How do you block the, end, the defensive end? Even help, even Bo Nix, he rolled out on a couple of those and he laid some pretty hard blocks on some corners and a safety, I think, a safety. I don't, I don't really remember specifically, but... I mean, Bo, I do know Bo Nix made some blocks. So even as the guy who always has the ball in every play, how do you play without the ball? And it seems like that mentality is kind of permeating itself through the team. They play hard, no matter who they are, or what position they are, because this team wants to win, not individual players. The whole team wants to win. Um, I did notice when he was asked about specific players, answers are pretty short. He's definitely, in terms of players on the other team, he'll have one to two sentence answers that don't really tell you a whole lot. He'll always revert back to talking about the other team's scheme as well as, um, you know, their ball production. He's not really concerned about blocking an individual player or scheming out an individual player. At least outwardly, <laughs> he might be more concerned about that behind closed doors and he's just not letting his scheme be known, which is fine. I'm totally okay with that. But I like the fact that he's more focused on the other team instead of just people. Because sure, you can out scheme one person, or you can scheme one person out of the game. But what about the rest of the team? That one person's a non-factor. Sure, that's great. But then everybody else still gets to just basically run around and do whatever they want for the most part. And that has been a problem for Oregon before. So I'm, I'm really glad to hear that he is more concerned about just general schemes and beating schemes, not beating players. Because again, that comes back to the chopping wood and carrying water. Focus on your fundamentals. Execute what you need to execute. The rest will happen. He didn't give a name to that Jumbo 13 personnel 
uh, big boy package, as it's jokingly being called. Um, but he did say to expect to see it in the future a lot more, which I'm personally excited about. I love heavy eye formation. It's classic football. It is classic put-your-nose-down football. It's fun to see. I I think... What, what have I heard? It's been since 2007 since we've seen a heavy eye formation in Autzen Stadium. 2006 or sooner, maybe? No, because that was, that was when Chip Kelly was the offensive coordinator. I think it was more like 2002, 2003, early 2000s, kind of like around the Oklahoma game. The last time we saw a heavy eye, which is impressive. Or not necessarily impressive, but really cool to see. Uh, also, Byron Cardwell and Justin Flo are questionable uh, to play on Saturday, which doesn't surprise me. I mean, he's not exactly forthcoming about injuries. He's pretty vague on that on that front. But they Justin Flo didn't play, and Byron Cardwell didn't play last weekend, so there's no reason for us to suspect that they would play this weekend. My cat's in here now. Where'd you go, kitty? Anyway. Yeah. Oh god. Ugh. Here's the cat. <laughs> um, and one quick note from Wednesday practice, I managed to uh, catch the little five minute presser he had after practice today. Uh, today focused mostly on third downs and red zone. Uh, they were also talking about pressure situations I don't I didn't catch what that was exactly um but it seemed like it really surprised the media like they didn't expect to see that Dan did so say though that they've been working on that pretty much the whole season they just haven't really shown it to the media as far as scouting on wazoo goes uh really the biggest threat that I see because their quarterback is all right he doesn't have a big arm. He has a pretty weak spiral, honestly. Uh, he doesn't seem to have very much downfield power. He's accurate, um, and he's quick, and he seems like a solid runner for the most part, and he has a pretty good pocket presence, but he just doesn't have a very strong arm. However, uh, their wide receiver, number 88, Dijon Stribling, he does look pretty solid. He's definitely going to be the main guy. I think he had two touchdowns against Colorado State um, and multiple catches for probably a little over 100 yards. I don't really want to pull up the stats right now. I don't know. Don't ask. Uh, pass protection for Washington State actually looks pretty decent. It should be a good litmus test for Oregon's pass rush because up until now, Oregon has really not had much of a pass rush. Uh and granted, <laughs> that has involved the likes of BYU and Georgia, which both have very, very good lines. BYU, a little less so, obviously. They're nowhere near the caliber of Georgia, but they're still solid. And Oregon, other than DJ Johnson, struggled to really generate any sort of pressure. And even then, DJ Johnson struggled a bit. Uh, they are really good. Their defense is really good at defending the screen. So that is something to watch out for, considering how often we've seen Oregon run screens. Uh, Washington State is actually very, very good at defending that. So I don't expect to see a lot of screens. I, I would expect a fair amount of quick game, just to kind of keep up keep up the pace with Washington State. Or 
Or maybe we see a lot more ground and pound with big shot plays instead just to retain possession of the ball because it still is a fast Washington State team. Uh, oh, a fun fact. Uh, Henry Cattleman, the kicker last year or the year before for Oregon, is actually the kicker at Colorado State. I thought that was kind of interesting. Doesn't really mean anything for this game. Hold on, my chair is sinking. Doesn't really mean anything for this game, but I thought that was kind of fun. Washington State does love to use RPOs inside the five-yard line. Nearly, I, I just watched highlights, but nearly every single time that there was a highlight within the five-yard line on first or second down, they immediately went to an RPO, and the quarterback pulled the ball and threw every single time. Every single time. So that is something to watch out for. I would expect double teams inside the five-yard line if they have one wide out or one wide out. Not wide out. Wide with a D. Wide out. I would expect a double team on them or at least a safety cheating up a bit to be able to break on the ball. And I would also expect a heavy front. Uh, I don't expect on first or second down inside the five to really have much in the way of a secondary. You're probably talking like a five-man big man front um, and a coverage linebacker with a corner bracketing the receiver as he breaks in because it's a slant every time bracketing the receiver as he breaks in safety just for extra help Uh, but I don't expect to really see a whole lot of like coverage called inside the five because their play calls got really really predictable their run game actually did look solid like I mentioned before um Oh, I did also mean to mention, I think I mentioned it before, uh, but their quarterback, Ward, I can't remember, was it Cam Ward, I think? He had actually pretty solid pocket presence. He's pretty elusive, pretty hard to bring down. He was brought down, I think, once or twice, if I remember correctly, uh, but he does seem like he's pretty hard to tackle. The run game does look pretty solid. They had 143 yards on 28 attempts on the ground, which is 5.1 yards per rush, which is actually... I believe that was more than what Oregon averaged against BYU. Or just slightly less, but still very solid. Uh, And lastly, as far as scouting Washington State goes, they held Colorado State to 37 yards, rushing on 31 attempts. Which rushing has really been the strength for Oregon. (laughs) So that is a little concerning. However, it was Colorado State. Their quarterback seems, he's a, he's a true freshman. Their quarterback seemed like he was all right, but he wasn't really good at disguising handoffs. He wasn't, didn't have a big arm. He wasn't really a threat to pass deep. So Washington State played him pretty hard. And as a result, they were able to play the rush pretty hard too because he just wasn't a big threat. If, but that is still 1.2 yards per rush. That is a solid, solid stat line, even against the Mountain West. Uh, Oregon, for example, held Eastern Washington, a big sky team, to 100 yards on 28 attempts, which is 3.6 yards per rush. So that Washington State defense does seem pretty solid against the run. So it will actually be a good test for Oregon's offensive line as far as um, blocking downfield and allowing big runs. But, but, that's fine. If they can do it, if they can pull that off, that will open up big shot plays downfield because then the safeties are going to have to cheat to make up for some of that loss up on the the line and the linebackers. And with, what is it, what's his name? 
something Thornton. I can't remember our receiver's name right now. But with him able to make big plays like we saw against BYU over the top, um, Patrick Herbert actually starting to see some action and see he caught his first pass in his career last weekend with this more with this wider oh and Cam McCormick with this wider variety of receiving threats who are all really freakish athletes. If Oregon can establish a run game, that will open up the passing game significantly, and I don't think that that rushing defense will be such a problem. With that said. I still think Oregon handles Washington State fairly well. Wazoo is a weird team. It's a weird place to play. It's only 32,000 people that can fit in that stadium, but it's still a loud stadium from what I've heard. It still gets crazy. They're a very passionate fan base, which makes sense. There's not a whole lot else to do in eastern Washington. (laughs) It's not like there's exactly a whole lot of stuff going on out there other than drinking parties and watching sports. So it makes sense that they really get into their games and they get a little bit crazy. That being said, Bo Nix is used to that. Dan Lanning is used to those environments. This team started up, started their season against Georgia in the Mercedes-Benz Superdome in Atlanta. It's just Mercedes-Benz Stadium. The Superdome was the old one that got destroyed, right? Anyway, they started in a really weird environment in a nationally televised game. This game, for some reason, is on Fox at 1 o'clock. I don't understand why it's a prime game on a prime network. I guess they're just high on Oregon, which, I mean, sure, I am too. Duh. But I I don't understand why it's such a big game. Uh, My prediction, though... Oregon shines, Oregon handles it fine, that run defense doesn't matter for Washington State, Oregon 38, Washington State 17. I just, I don't believe in their quarterback from what I saw. He looked all right, but he misses, he doesn't have a big arm, he's accurate, but if we can lock down Dijon Stribling and we can keep their running game in check, they got nothing. Uh, And on the other side of the ball, if we can show them that we're going to run it down their throats no matter what, and we can bring those safeties up and launch some deep shots like we know Bo Nix can, they got nothing. They they just they don't have a chance if Oregon is able to do those two things. I do expect to see a pick, by the way. I, I want to see a pick or a fumble recovery. Some sort of first f- forced turnover. Uh, Real quick on the Chargers, I'm going to try and keep this one short because I'm already at 25 minutes. The Chargers versus Jaguars. uh, I listened to Staley's presser today, um, just about today's practice. Herbert is currently day-to-day, but he did do individual drills today. From what I've heard, it sounds like he's doing all right. I heard on the Guilty as Charged podcast, I think it was Guilty as Charged, um someone was listening to one of Austin Eckler's many shows that he does and Herbert had told him that he's actually feeling all right and he's in good spirits because he's played with cracked ribs before no that wasn't guilty as charged that was just a page on Twitter so I mean take that with a grain of salt but if it was something that Eckler actually said I would totally believe it we've seen Herbert play through some pretty nasty shit in the past uh here at Oregon so I would not be surprised if that is actually how Herbert is feeling. 
It does sound like that the coaching staff is going to leave the decision to play up to Herbert. He will be wearing a massive chest protector for quite some time, so that might inhibit his ability to be a little bit mobile, but I think that's okay. I don't want to see him rolling out of the pocket because part of the reason that rolling out of the pocket like that works for him is that he is a running threat. He's not going to either A, be allowed to run (laughs) right now, or he's not going to want to for sake of protecting the rest of his season. There's also the chance chance that Herbert is just fucking Herbert and he's a cyborg and he's going to run anyway, no matter what anyone tells him what to do because it's Herbert. Uh, but it is up to him to play. But because it is up to him to play, as long as he's not in pain, he's going to play. So I do expect him to play. I'd see it's like a 70% chance that he does play personally just because he has experience with this injury before. Uh, Someone on Twitter did bring up that it's possible that the last time he had this injury was against the Raiders in uh, week... Was it week four last season? Week four or five? Where he took a massive shot and he had to step out for one play and we saw Easton stick. I guess it was his first season. And we saw Easton stick for one play. And it was a hand. I think they took a timeout. I think they let the play clock get to one and took a timeout (laughs) and then put Herbert back in that, or they just ran it up the middle with Eckler or something like that. I don't exactly remember or like Justin Jackson or something. Uh, He's most likely going to be a game day decision given that he is day to day. But again, I do expect him to play Uh, Keenan Allen and Donald Parham are also day to day, which is good to hear for Donald Parham actually, because he's been week to week for two months now. So day-to-day is good. That's a good development. I like the way that's trending. We need Donald Parham back. I did not realize how important this guy was to the scheme. Holy crap. Um, They were both in individual drills today, but it sounds like that's all they did, so their practice was limited, and they are questionable for the game on Sunday still, but they are both trending positive. Personally, I think Brandon Staley is just not tipping his cards about Keenan Allen. I would expect Keenan to play at least on a snap count maybe only like 20 snaps, but I do expect to see him play, especially because it kind of sounded like he was going to play this last weekend if the game was not on a Thursday. Uh, Trey Pipkins is also day-to-day with an ankle, mild ankle sprain from what we've been told. Uh, I don't expect to see him playing, which scares me (laughs) given that Herbert is hurt and Keenan might also be out, and Jacksonville's defense has actually been solid. They are uh, currently leading... I think they're either leading, they're not leading the league in turnovers, but I think they have already surpassed their turnover margin from last year, which is insane. That tells you how shitty they were last year. So if Trey Pipkins is not playing, I am worried about that right side. Now, you could, for one game in theory, move Zion Johnson over to tackle because he did play all positions on the offensive line in college and stick Jamari Sawyer in at right guard. Uh, That would be sketchy considering Jamari Sawyer is... I I, I don't know if he's better at tackle or guard, but I think he was a right tackle. But they seem to want to keep him on the interior interior of the line. The other alternative, of course, is to throw Matt Filer out to tackle and put Jamari Sawyer in at left guard. I could see that one, but again, they don't want to move Corey Lindsley, or not Corey Lindsley, 
Matt Filer. They, they don't want to move Matt Filer, and I don't understand why they can't just move Matt Filer. But that would solve problems if they move Matt Filer for just a couple of weeks while Pipkins gets healthy. Anyway, uh, Corey Lindsley is also day-to-day from what we from uh, what I have read is it's most likely tendonitis, which really sucks. That would explain the 12 veteran days off in the preseason. But I, I, I don't know. I mean, if he can play with shots, just pain management shots, then great. We have Corey Lindsley, and it's not such a big deal having Trey Pipkins out. But if they are both out, that's a problem. That's a big problem, and I, I am really, really worried for Herbert's sake. And I honestly think if one of them is out, then Herbert plays. If both Trey Pipkins and Corey Lindsley are out, do not play Herbert this week. Don't. I, it's not worth the risk to his health for the rest of the season. Because even though Jacksonville is Jacksonville, they're still an NFL team, and they still hit like an NFL team. And those guys get paid lots and lots of money to hit quarterbacks very, very hard. And they don't care if the quarterback is already hurt, because that's their paycheck. Uh, according to Brandon Staley, Jacksonville is a very improved team, which I would say I agree. They do look very, very solid. Um, he didn't have a whole lot else to say about that. He did call out specific players. He said he really likes Doug Peterson. He's a very respectable guy, played a lot of time in the league, blah, blah, blah. All the normal coach speak stuff. But it sounds like they are taking Jacksonville seriously. And it's not just going to be a pushover game. So I'm really hoping the fourth down decisions come back. Out of, say, maybe five possible fourth downs this game, I would love to see them go for them, go for it on three of them. Um, sure, one of them maybe is a punt, one of them is a field goal. Maybe two could be punts. I want to see two to three go for it on fourth down. Just, just because. I mean, you don't necessarily need to do that against Jacksonville still, I don't think, but I still want to see it. We all still want to see it. It's kind of, it's the Brandon Staley thing. He preached it all offseason, and now he's gone for it on seven fourth downs. And four of those were because he had to. Uh, according to Staley, J.C. Jackson feels good. He's just sore from the game still, which makes sense. He has, that's his first game since last season. I would expect him to be sore for a couple more weeks. He'll probably be limited again this weekend. I would expect him to be on a snap count as well, but he clearly is, his incision is healed up. It's just a matter of any sort of residual discomfort in that ankle going away. I, I don't expect that to stick around long, but I do expect him to be more limited, especially because they don't really have any receiving threats that Asante Samuel couldn't take account for on Jacksonville. So, I don't know, maybe we see a J.C. Jackson interception finally, but I don't expect him to play a whole ton. He did also say that he's very optimistic about K-9's progress, which is great to hear. Kenneth Murray has looked good. He's looked very solid. I think he's still having some trouble in pass protection, or in uh, pass defense, but as far as run defense goes, he's looked solid. He's He's run to the right gaps. He's clogged the right gaps. He's making tackles in the backfield. I think he has a couple tackles for loss, if not minimal one to two yard gains. He's not getting overpowered. He's not getting bulldozed. I mean, he's making tackles. He looks good, and he's in the right spot now. Clearly, he's in a much better mental state than he was last season, and he's in a much better physical state too. 
I, I believe Brandon Staley has said something along the lines of he's in the best physical shape of his life. He said that about a few different players, but I totally believe it with Kenneth Murray. He put in work this offseason from what we've heard, getting back from his surgery. But once he was able to lift weights again, I'm sure he was a dog. And lastly, bringing up the dreaded pick six, Staley took full responsibility for that play. I don't know if that's just because that's what the media wants to hear or if he's being sincere. I think he's being sincere about it because he has he has a reputation of being truthful when it comes to this sort of stuff. He doesn't bullshit around it. So when he says he takes full responsibility for keeping Gerald Everett in the game, I totally believe him. Uh, he did say Gerald Everett's responsibility on that play is very simple. Uh, he said it's a simple play, simple responsibility. That's what he said. He had explained before what Gerald Everett was supposed to do. He was supposed to read the leverage of the corner or linebacker, whoever was on him. And if he has outside leverage, break in and body him out to just fall into the end zone for a touchdown. If he had inside leverage, the ball's probably, he's probably going to go just run it out, take that guy away, and the ball goes to the stick. But Herbert read the play correctly. Gerald Everett just didn't make the right move because he was gassed. He thought, Staley said that he thought Everett could play that down. Evidently, he could not. And that's squarely on Brandon Staley's shoulders. And that's that. Uh, as, as far as the game prediction goes, I, I didn't really watch much of the Jaguars. I, I've seen a few highlights on YouTube here and there. I didn't really want to devote any time to Jacksonville, considering how much longer the beginning of this episode was for Oregon. Uh, we're actually at 36 minutes now, so I wouldn't be surprised if this episode is actually more, is over 30 minutes, which is interesting. I didn't expect it to go this long. I, I didn't watch much of Jacksonville. From what I've heard, they're improved, but I still don't think that they're on the level of the Chargers when the Chargers are firing. So, given that it's a home game, uh, there is an over-under of, I believe it was 54 points? No, I didn't look at the over-under for this game. I'm dumb. I looked at the over-under for the Oregon game. It was an over-under of 54 uh, I didn't look at the over-under or the point spread on this one. I believe the Chargers are favored by, like, five. Actually, you know what? Hold on. Oh. The over-under is 47, and the Chargers are favored currently by seven. We'll see if that's how it... Uh, let's, we'll see if that's how it is on Sunday as well, but it's opened at seven. So they're a whole touchdown favorite over-under of 47. I'm going to say that the under hits just because Herbert, even if he is playing, is still injured. And we are still mostly down J.C. Jackson on the defense. So it's nothing's 100% yet. <laughs> there's still no Keenan. There's still no Donald Parham. I expect there to be a Keenan. I expect there to be a Herbert. But if there isn't, I wouldn't be surprised. However, regardless of any of that, if Herbert plays, I have the Chargers 31, Jags 20. If Herbert does not play... And this is how important Herbert is to this team. Chargers 20, Jacksonville 21. I do think that the Jags, if Herbert does not play, will just barely edge out the Chargers. I like Chase Daniel. He's accurate, I guess. And he's a good game manager. He's ridiculously football smart. But he doesn't have the athleticism 
that Herbert has. And this offense is built around Herbert's athleticism. And without that, <laughs> it's Drew Brees' New Orleans in his last season. It's not a lot. There's not a lot going there. There's really no big shots you can take. And the running game is anemic right now, which is infuriating because it was supposed to be better. I hope that it's just that they haven't gelled yet. I hope that this week they've worked on their blocking schemes a little bit more. They've worked on blocking techniques a little bit more, and they'll be better at blocking. But with an injured line and no Herbert, possibly no Keenan Allen, and likely no Donald Parham, it's not going to be good if Herbert doesn't play. All right, well, thank you for listening to episode four of West Coast Football. A little more put together. I feel like I didn't say um quite so much. I feel like I was actually pretty straightforward and concise and consistent with what I wanted to say. I don't know. This is fun. This is fun. If you do happen to see this with an average viewership of four and a half people right now, (laughs) if you do happen to see this, uh, do leave a comment on YouTube if you want to go over to YouTube. Um, My YouTube page is West Coast Football, so it is the same thing as the podcast on wherever you're listening to this right now. Uh, If you're watching on YouTube, hi. Uh, Let me know what you think so far. Now that I'm four episodes into it, I feel like I am starting to settle in. I think I'm still rambling too much, but I don't know without feedback. Anyway, thank you for watching. Um, I will try and have a a quick wrap up on Sunday since the Chargers game is at one. So I will try and do a real quick unstructured wrap up sort of episode. Am I out of focus? I have no idea what my camera is doing. Anyway, I will have a, I'll try to have a quick wrap up episode on Sunday, just talking about the weekend and um, I won't necessarily be able to focus too much on the game on Saturday. I will have it on, but I will be doing other things as well. So anyway, thanks for sticking around this far to 40 minutes. Good God. Anyway, see you at the end of the weekend. Bolt up and go Ducks.